1: Welcome to America. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at one 800 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This weekend, I did something some would say is ill-advised, but not from the town I am from. Yet, basking in the glow of an easy Philadelphia Eagles victory, I decided to take on a number of Twitter followers who insist that any rally from these levels is entirely phony. A move based on easy money from the Federal Reserve and a gigantic budget deficit. Therefore they say it's all false. And it accident badly. Oh, I read all these thoughtful 280-character-or-less arguments slash Jeremiah ads, and they all have one thing in common. They hate the market and see it as a gigantic house of cards that's waiting to collapse. Even if you're not so hot today, Dow lost 96 points. It was up a lot for most of the day. Well, some of it. The S&P shed 0.45%. NASDAQ dipped 0.33%. There's one huge problem with this worldview. History. Look at this. I got in this business in the fall of 1981 with the S&P trading at 120. 120. It's now at 2,938. The Dow, the Dow was at 856. It's now at 26,478. If this isn't dispositive, I don't know what is. Now, I know if you're a short seller, it seems unfair that there could be a moment where the Fed's propping things up and there's a gigantic budget deficit, perhaps with a liquidity bubble because interest rates are so low. But that's just not how it works, people. The market's not perfect. Often it doesn't even make sense. You don't have to like it. But trying to fight it every step of the way? Well, look at this. It's cost you a fortune. Yet on Twitter, it's like I came in right here and everybody else, well, they've lost money. They have the chart upside down for better or worse certainly better there for better or worse stocks have been a great long-term investment for my whole investing career is that because i've just got lucky i don't know isn't that a long period of time isn't it first of all because we've had decades of growth decades of pro- we've had decades of progress this isn't always the easiest thing to measure progress is so ethereal Think about how much has changed over the last 38 years. Personal computers, the Internet, now the cloud. Material perspective, things are a lot better than they used to be. Second, while things have deteriorated over the past year, we're not in the kind of horrendous moment where we need to make wholesale changes in our portfolios, contrary to what you hear from many of the bears. Remember, it was only 11 years ago that our whole financial system melted down and our country was on the precipice. The weakness brought down Washington Mutual, General Motors, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, AIG, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, almost destroyed GE. It was the worst period for our economy since the Great Depression. The systemic risk was off the charts. But what happened? Did the country fall apart? No. The center held. Why? Well, because the Federal Reserve made it so the center held by taking aggressive action right there. I don't really care how it was saved. Enough with the purity. What matters was that it was saved. I think if we made it through the Great Recession, we're certainly going to make it through a garden variety slowdown like we might be experiencing now. Third, we underestimated America's incredible resource wealth. No one ever talks about this. Our country's a wash in oil and natural gas. That means we have cheap power. It means we've got great manufacturing capabilities. It's huge for the economy. While the trade war with China may be hurting us a bit, well, it's not like we import necessities from the Chinese. We're not hostage to them other than our own minds. Okay? Fourth, our educational system is far from perfect, but it's created a tremendous number of entrepreneurs who have in turn created a tremendous number of enterprises that are hard to duplicate, and we have more upward mobility in this country than in any other in the world. Our legal system is a free market paradise. Our deep capital markets can provide an enormous amount of liquidity, although right now we've been glutted on new IPOs, and the last thing we need is more deals. Just say no to the IPO. Just say no to the IPO. Finally, there are the companies themselves. Whenever I see people bashing the stock market, they're almost always talking about the broader political scene. They're worried about Trump bullying the Fed or the Fed creating the illusion of sanity where none exists or easy money simply make it so the stock market is the only game in town. But given that easy money is here for the foreseeable future, uh, that seems like a silly thing to worry about. And stocks aren't the only game in town. Bonds have been incredible performers during this period, even if they know or give you much in the way of income. So I think what the bears really miss is that it's not about the big picture. That's hedge fund speak. That's media who hasn't done homework speak. It's not about the macro. It's about the micro. See, underneath all these baskets that people have created needlessly in order to generate a huge number of fees, underneath that, stocks represent actual companies. And those companies can produce solid returns, even if the averages go down. I almost feel silly pointing this out, but in an era where everyone's worshiping at the altar of index funds, Maybe you need a little reminder that individual stocks can give you individual performance, either through dividends or through share appreciation, or both. Let me give you an obvious example. Plain as day, right in your face. Apple. Yep. When Tim Cook took over as CEO in August of 2011, Apple was trading at 53 bucks. Now, it's at $227, and that's not including all the money they paid you in dividends along the way. Now, I know many people who fought Apple every step. They believe the company is too dependent on its cell phone business, and its phones aren't much better than the competition, so the earnings have to come down. That's been the knock on Apple for years. I think it's just plain wrong. Not only is the iPhone better... More importantly, it's so popular that there's a whole ecosystem of AirPods and watches and pay-for-subscription services that have turned Apple into much more than a handset maker. This service revenue stream will make their earnings far less episodic, and that will make the stock go higher still. Wall Street always pays more for sticky, consistent numbers than for the cyclical boom and bust numbers. And I've got to tell you, this Apple, the, the 11 consistently... Oh, someone must have downgraded Apple trading down after the close. Oh, bore me. Anyway, now maybe you think that's all financial ledger and men. Everything that I said. Maybe you want a Google ledger and men. Who cares whether the numbers are sticky or episodic? Aren't you basically paying more money for the same earnings streaming? No! The market value consistency. You pay more for consistent numbers. This is not unique to Apple. Why do I bring this up? Well, I bring it up in part because Tim Crook is chronically underrated. The man never gets the respect he deserves. But mainly I mention Apple because it doesn't fit the profile of what these bears keep talking about and complaining about. Apple's value is being created by the Fed's easy money policies. It's not an unintended consequence of rate cuts of the budget deficit. Apple's simply a company that has made huge profits, and it's redeploying them to keep growing its business while compensating shareholders with dividends. I mean, that's what owning a stock is about. In other words, Apple's proof positive that you shouldn't view the whole stock market as one big, undifferentiated blob like a soybean basket or like corn. All stocks are not created equal. Some are a lot more equal than others. That should be self-evident. And there are hundreds of stocks that have good stories. Believe me, I know them. The bottom line, when someone tells you that the whole market is rigged to go higher by the Fed, tune them out! These people come out of the woodwork every time the Fed cuts interest rates. I've been hearing the same nonsense when... Since 1981, and you know what? Judging by the numbers I gave you, it's been wrong every step of the way. That matters. Claire in New York, Claire.
0: Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for giving me the tools and confidence to start trading again after 20 years. There you go. I love that. Thank you. I Thank you. I broke a big rule, though. I bought Cisco 19 years ago at 57 and held. I'm looking for growth. Should I sell it?
1: I think that Chuck Robbins is doing a great job. The last quarter wasn't nearly as bad as people thought. I think it's a terrific opportunity to buy it here. Do I know this next quarter is going to be a blowout? No, but you get a great yield. It's got a great business plan. It's doing a lot of terrific things, and it is so inexpensive that I want you to stick with it. All right, the market's not perfect, but fighting it incessantly... It's been a fool's game. And there's evidence to support that. Just look at the value companies are, that they create every day. Look at our nation's abundant natural resources, our country's progress over the years. This moment is actually better than you think. Well, man, buddy, tonight, you know I'm always looking for a bargain. Tonight i mine, Costco after earnings. They've changed the way we shop, so it's time to buy in bulk. And investors of Cedar Fair might feel like they're on a roller coaster if the company turned down Six Flags acquisition offer. So what should be your next move? When it comes to amusement park operators, buckle up and I'm giving you my take. And Ring Central jumped to a record high on Friday after a deal with an old school telecom equipment player, Avaya. Is it worth considering even up here? I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer.
1: What the heck happened to the stock at Costco last week? When Costco reported, its quarter was almost universally panned by the media. The results were led to allegedly, and I'm going to put a uh, little quote marks there, allegedly weaker than expected. And the stock dropped almost 5% in pre-market trading. Let's just write down here. But because I'd read the conference call the night before, I knew the headlines were wrong. The quarter was fine. And the stock had to be bought in a week. Sure enough, you made a quick 10 points if you bought Costco into the panic. You know what? I think it's got more room to run. So how does the stock go up when it's supposed to be down, when all the commentary is negative? Okay. when Costco reported, the headline number looked to be far from good. In fact, some people thought it was disturbing. However, if you've been following Costco for any amount of time, any amount of time, you had to know there were so many moving parts here to this quarter that the headline numbers were borderline meaningless. Sure, if management forecasting, say, a 7% same-store sales growth and the actual number comes in at 5%, a big disappointment, well, that's one thing. That's going to freak people out. But in reality, Costco delivered 5% when Wall Street was looking for just a little bit more. And it wasn't decisively disappointing at all, which is why you had to dive into the conference call to make your own determination you couldn't use the headlines. Although, obviously, judging by this, many people did choose the headlines. That's how I knew the quarter was better than it looked. Plus, it didn't hurt that the analysts who followed Costco roundly approved of the quarter in their notes the next day. In fact, many of them actually raised their price targets, even as the headlines would have had you believe that the numbers deserved to be cut and they would be taking the price targets down. First, Costco isn't just a retailer here. That's what you need to know. The headlines can't capture that. See, it's a club, and that club had record signups. Total cardholders now at 98.5 million, up from 97.2 million last quarter. Renewal rates here in the United States are ridiculously high. They're 90.9%. That's a club that people want to stay in. Second, e-commerce, which has long been kind of an afterthought for Costco, is now booming. It's growing at a 19.8% clip. It's only getting stronger. Finally, Costco just opened a new store in Shanghai, and it was popped. Just listen to what CFO Rich Galante, who is so good, had to say about this on the call. Quote, due to overwhelming crowds, it was actually closed about four hours into the opening day. End quote. The Shanghai store racked up 200,000 members in a few weeks' time. That's an unheard of pace. Typically, other new stores will generate about a third of that over the same period. Now, it wasn't perfect, but I think a lot of the confusion here stems from the way the question and answer session unfolded on the call. Specifically, it's about how the analysts ask their questions. Now, do not get me wrong. The analysts got this one right for the most part. They stuck by Costco, which was right. They raised numbers, which was right. But their process created a misleading impression that reverberated throughout the media that evening and made you feel like the stock was going to get poleaxed. you got to understand, if you're working as an analyst, your first job is to come up with what's known as a model. Okay, And that model lets you figure out how much money the company's going to earn. Then you look at the actual numbers to see if they're better or worse than your model. So when Costco reported on Thursday night and some of the head numbers were below the analyst consensus, the average of, of what uh, all the sell-side firms that covered the stock were looking for, people started dumping the stock left and right. With Costco trading at a pretty elevated level to begin with, 35 times earnings, The sellers figured that the stock was due for some downgrades. The darn thing was up about 42% for the year. You don't expect it to hold on to these gains after a blown quarter. You expect a slew of downgrades. But the analysts didn't go there. On some level, they actually understood that Costco has never run itself to please Wall Street. No, they don't play that game. Costco knows that if they keep their customers happy, it will ultimately benefit the shareholders. And that, believe me, is one and then the next, not shareholders benefit and customers may benefit. Management has such a terrific record that they have built up an enormous amount of trust, a reservoir of trust. It's never been a mistake to give Costco the benefit of the doubt, and you can see it year after year after year. However, if you listen to the Q&A, It was like pulling teeth. Repeatedly, the analysts were asking, is it safe? No, is it? No, just kidding. Repeatedly asking for help on the margins in the gasoline business. Costco sells tons of gasoline. Very hard to understand because of the changing prices of gasoline. No, they didn't get any help on that one at all. They wanted to know if the tariffs are putting the company at a disadvantage. All Galanti tells us is that there, quote, will be some impact. Given that Costco only sells 3,800 items, far fewer than the typical chain, might sell 100,000, 150,000 items, Galanti believes that the tariffs will be easy to manage. He mentions the new tariffs on European cheese and olive oil, but he won't put a number on it. Kind of just now, like, we got these new tariffs. Why isn't he more worked up about this stuff? Well, as Galanti explains, quote, I think we are able to decide not to sell something and put something else in its place, end quote. Again, that's easier for Costco to do because they concentrate on a smaller number of bulk items. See, they don't need to have everything in every possible variety. Instead of focusing on tariffs, Galanti wisely talked about something Wall Street had been freaking out before early in the year, but now they seem to have forgotten about. He's talking about the cost of freight. He says that it's peaked and now going back down. The analysts didn't seem to care at all, at least not on this call. What else? Even though the analysts love those numbers for the new store in Shanghai, Costco tells us they don't have plans to open more Chinese locations until 2021. Why not? Because they like to be methodical, or as he kept saying, pretty methodical about their openings. This slow pace drove the analysts nuts. One of them asked if maybe the expectations really exceeded, given how slowly they're taking things, Uh, but Cliente stressed it clearly, quote, surpasses all of our very high expectations, end quote. Still, that doesn't mean Costco is going to start putting up new stores before they're ready. They've got a process. They are meticulous. They don't just add stores to please Wall Street. All right, how about the mood of the consumer? Rather than wring his hands about the state of the economy, Galanti says, and I quote, I think if we all turned off the television, stopped listening to everything every day, we'd all be better, end quote. Oh, by the way, Costco sold, and this is not the first time, a diamond ring for $200,000 this quarter. A lot of carrots, as Delante said. Now, who saw that coming? Management. Why? Because management knows that the customer, you, me, has trust in Costco and that Costco offers real value. Trust, value. Trust, value. Sounds like something Benioff would say. Again, these are. The co-CEO of uh, Salesforce. I shouldn't have presumed that. Again, though, even though the analysts may have sounded dubious in the call, I knew to tell you to buy it on Squawk on the street right here. Uh, as most of these uh, analysts raised numbers, uh, stay positive, raise the price target. And that's what you needed to know. You see, as long as there were no downgrades, they couldn't take it lower. The most negative thing that happened was Opco did a very minor number cut. I don't think it was anything at all. Everyone who bailed on this stock anticipating a wave of slash estimates ended up, well, let's just say getting burned. If you stuck with Costco, as you should have, as I've said over and over again, if you gave management the benefit of the doubt, then look at the money you made. And that's very short term. Bottom line, the next time you see a high-quality company like Costco report a seemingly disappointing quarter, don't rush to judgment. Listen to the conference call. Remember when you're going over the question and answer session that the analysts are just trying to put together models, but even they can't think beyond those models when it really matters. Costco is a fantastic company. Management told a great story of value and trust, and I think the stock's a terrific buy. Anytime it gives you a pullback, just like the one it gave you the other day. Let's go to D.C. and Georgia. D.C.
0: Hi. How you doing?
1: I am good. How about you, D.C.?
0: Doing great. Okay. So, go I get right into my question? hmm Okay. Go ahead. Um, I bought Wayfair uh, right after I saw them rolling out marketing for free to delivery, and I thought, well, that's smart, so I'll look into that. And, in essence, I sold off the game three separate times. Um, but that was, um, and then I sold the entire stock. That was before um, I saw your segment about, you know, don't be a pig, but right. hold on to the hold on to the initial investment and let it ride. Okay. So I did sell out, like I said, the initial investment. Um, but it was also because I'm a little older and I'm a little uncomfortable with challenges okay. that Wayfair might my face. Remain profitable, right? As they try to grow and compete with, you know, the giant Amazon. So I did sell it out about six weeks ago. Um, that being said, I was curious. Do you think that was a poor choice? No, no, you her- had
1: to do it. I mean, anyone who watches, I find I learned a tremendous amount. My wife, Lisa, insists that we watch the commercials. I can't dial around in football. I, I learned a tremendous amount from the commercials. I'm not kidding. And Amazon has a whole commercial developed to just really built around a table. A guy dreaming of a table. Is that ever about a Wayfair? Somehow Wayfair got under their skin, and that's a bad thing to do. Ask, by the way, what happens when a sleeping giant wakes up like Nike or Amazon? Uh, Nike with Under Armour? You can't own... The company, they go after. Matt New York, Matt. Booyah, Kramer. How are you? I am well. How about you, Matt?
0: Good. So I've had DKS, Dick's Sporting Goods, for probably the last four or five months. It's performed very well. But should I try to sell off and move into another company, or do I wait for it
1: to drop and buy it at a lower position? High-quality company. No need to do that. Took aggressive action to remove guns. Uh, that is uh, Ed Stack that did that. Ed Stack's a man of great courage, and I think he's also a fabulous operator at eleven times earnings. I wouldn't sell that Tell him with a three percent yield. You got a good one there. I really like that one. How about Ashwin in California? Ashwin?
0: Uh, hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call up. all well. I I start to talk about this recession and all this stuff. I still remain optimistic. What do you think about the uh, restoration? R H. You
1: know what? You can buy some here. It's only a few from its top and you buy more. Why? I got to tell you, Gary Friedman uh, is so, so good. He's a, a Warriors fan, by the way. And when we were with uh, Greg from the Warriors, he let us be right next to him. Uh, I have to tell you, I think that this is absolutely great stock to own. And if you haven't been to the palace that is downtown, holy cave in uh, New York. I've not been to Chicago. I wouldn't go to that one, too. Gary Freeman's the real deal, and so is the stock. All right, until analysts understand that Costco runs its business for its customers, trust and value, and not for Wall Street, their models will always be flawed. That's the reality of a company that prioritizes you, the customer, ahead of the shareholder, knowing that the shareholder's going to benefit in the end anyway. Much more made of money ahead. Might be a roller coaster market, but did Cedar Fair and Six Flags just add to the whiplash? Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. I'm taking you for a ride after all the acquisition talk. Then my exclusive with Ring Central. Have you seen that thing, RNG? Can it help bring in the returns even at these prices? I've got the CEO. And we've all got non negotiable demands when it comes to relationships. So, what are the things that the U.S. refuses to settle on when it comes to China trade, even as the president says this evening that a deal could be imminent? Well, you gotta stick with me. Never right mind, Months ago. Right here, we ran a piece comparing the two big amusement park chains, Six Flags and Cedar Fair. Even though Six Flags is in many ways the better operator, I told you to stick with Cedar Fair. The stock was cheaper, and it had a higher yield. That's a nice combination. Now, initially, that looked like a good call. From August 19th to September 30th, Cedar Fair rallied 11%, while Six Flags declined by 11%. But then last Wednesday, it became Accidentally brilliant Uh, when it was reported the six had made a cash and stock takeover bid for Cedar Fair. Stock caught fire on the news, but then Cedar Fair shot them down and pulled back. All right. So what the heck is really going on here with these two theme parks that we've talked about endlessly? And what are you supposed to do with the stocks? And we talk about them endlessly because we're always looking for high yield and high quality. And Cedar Fair's given us that. Okay, before we get to the takeover, you need to understand why Cedar Fair has spent the last couple of months outperforming Six Flags, all right? It's a very nice run, isn't it? Uh, right after Labor Day weekend, Cedar Fair released its year-to-date preliminary net, preliminary net revenue numbers. They're fantastic. It's up 8% year-over-year to a record $1.12 billion company had 1.1 million visits at its parks, up 6% year-over-year. Nice, huh? With in-park per capita spending up 3%. Cedar Fair had just reported a solid quarter in August, and then a little over a month ago, we learned that the company's maintaining its momentum. Plus, it it didn't hurt that we got a huge rotation out of growth stocks into value names with high dividends. Don't forget, that was the same period that the utility stocks became the best performers in the Dow. And this is a REIT. Remember, we did the piece last week about the REITs being the second-best. It's amazing. I'm not in the doubt in the S&P, I mean, it, but this is a member function of their bond proxy, so to speak. What about Six Flags? Why didn't the rotation help them? Funnily enough, we've gotten a series of positive analyst reports about these guys. The management team met with Barenberg, a boutique research firm. It told a terrific story, but the last time the cut reported at the beginning of August, the numbers were, let's just say, mixed. And I think that made it much harder to own during a period of intense turmoil for the averages. On top of that, Cedar Fair was cheaper with a bigger dividend. If you wanted to buy an amusement park stock for the income, Six Flags was not the way to go. Now, though, Cedar Fair stock has roared higher while Six Flags stock has broken down. At these levels, Six Flags has a higher yield and is the cheaper stock. On the other hand, Cedar Fair is a big takeover Target pin on its back. It's a $57 stock, and we already know that Six Flags is willing to pay at least 70 a share for this one. So last Wednesday, Reuters reported that Six Flags had come to Cedar Fair with an offer, although apparently it wasn't one of those Luca Luca Brasi style, you can't refuse offers from Godfather. This story broke immediately after we learned that Blackstone, that's a gigantic private equity firm, had just taken a 65% stake in the privately held Great Wolf Resorts. That's another amusement park play. Suddenly it looked like we were dealing with a win of consolidation and deal activity in the industry. And those deals had premium valuations. Get this, the deal values Great Wolf at $2.9 billion, and its current owner bought the whole darn thing for $1.35 billion just four and a half years ago. That's remarkable how much this business has gotten on fire. But almost from the moment the Six Flags Cedar Fair story broke, the analyst community divided against itself, uh, with some firms arguing the deal made sense and others arguing that it was incredibly foolish. Wells Fargo released a note pointing out that Six Flags would need to issue an enormous amount of equity to keep its balance sheet from getting too mired in debt, and the price tag would likely be way too high. The very next day, KeyBank publishes a piece claiming the merger makes strategic sense. Six Flags and Cedar Fair can combine forces to become a regional amusement park behemoth with a ton of opportunities for cost-cutting. However, even this analyst who likes the general idea thinks the timing's bad. Instead of buying Cedar Fair here, he thinks Six Flags should have waited for a recession, well, yeah, where they'll be able to pick it up for a lot less. At the same time, everybody was scrambling to figure out what Cedar Fair might be worth now that we need to consider it as a viable takeover target. I've seen a pretty wide range from 68 to as much as $90 a share. So Cedar Fair, well, let's just say it could really ramp. Come Friday, Wells Fargo tells us that they met with Cedar Fair's management, and they're not looking to sell. A few hours later, Reuters reports that Cedar Fair actually rejected a $4, $4 billion offer from Six Flags. That's about $70 a $70 share, uh, mostly in stock, but with a small cash component. The problem? Let me read you this bit from the Reuters piece. Quote, Cedar Fair responded the Six Flags bid was too low, not least because it did not compensate Cedar Fair's shareholders for giving up on the company's tax advantaged, pu- pu- advantageous publicly traded partnership. Remember, I told you these are REITs. C- uh, Cedar Fair is a master limited partnership rather than an ordinary C-Corp, which means they, can, they pay out the bulk of their earnings as dividends or distributions without getting hit with any corporate income tax. That's why it's so advantageous. It's a good point. If Six Flags really wants to buy Cedar Fair, they need to offer a much larger premium, and I don't think they can afford it. KeyBank says they might need to pay $85 a share, and that seems prohibitive to me, especially since Six Flags already has a debt-laden balance sheet. Either way, though, a lot has changed for the amusement park stock since I told you to buy Cedar Fair at $52 in August, although the stock has given up most of its gains since the deal news broke. Six Flags is still down substantially, though. Stock's been hammered. At these levels, both Cedar Fair and and Six Flags sell for about 16 times next year's earnings estimates. Meanwhile, Six Flags now sports a notoriously B.I.G., 6.7% yield. Cedar Fair is paying you 6.4%. When I recommended Cedar Fair in August, it was four turns cheaper than Six Flags, and its yield was 120 basis points larger rather than 30 basis points smaller. So what do you do now? It was right to buy Cedar Fair and forget about Six Flags in August. Is that still the case? I think it has become a more complicated choice. Someone said it was a no brainer to go with Cedar Fair two months ago. With the takeover now presumably off the table, I could easily see Six Flags bouncing a few bucks here from 48 and change, maybe to the low 50s. But unless you're a trader, it's just not worth trying to chase that kind of move. As an investor, I say stick with Cedar Fair. Simple F U N. Why? Because the takeover bid uh, just all it does is confirm what I originally thought about these two names. It's a not so tacit admission from Six Flags. That's Cedar Fair's and attractive asset. If they're willing to pay $70 a share, the stock must be a steal down here at 57 Plus, the fact that Six Flags is willing to do this as a mostly stock-based transaction, you can view that as an admission that their stock is overvalued. Otherwise, they would have arranged to borrow money and offer more cash. Bottom line here, even after the shakeup in the amusement park space, I think buying Six Flags here is throwing good money after bad. If you already own Cedar Fair, I'd stick with it. If you don't own it, hey, I recommend putting a small position on here, maybe waiting for a pullback. Nice, nice dividend. And who knows? Maybe one day a takeover bid. Stick with Kramer.
2: Coming up Knock, knock, ring, ring. Can this stock connect your business and help you ring in the returns? Kramer comes knocking with Ring Central when Mad Money returns. Innovation is accomplished everywhere, and this company is working to connect you to the people and places you need to do your best work. Can Ring Central use the cloud to connect investors to profits?
1: In the past few months, the high-flying cloud stocks have been obliterated. It's part of a broader rotation out of turbocharged growth names with the little, little in the way of earnings, which has been the big problem, and the sell-off has just been brutal. But there's a reason people were willing to pay up for these stocks before. Look at Ring Central, the cloud-based telephone platform that's taking share and taking names in the corporate communications space. The stock had been hammered from the 140s down to the 120s. Then on Friday, holy cow, they entered a deal with Avaya Holdings, becoming Avaya's exclusive provider of unified communications as a service. The two companies are rolling out a new solution that will Transition uh, Avaya's existing customers onto RingCentral's cloud-based system. And Avaya has a lot of customers. Their installed base serves over 100 million users. That's why RingCentral exploded high on Friday, rallying 28%. That's why the stock tacked only another 5.8% today. If you're catching an upgrade from J.P. Morgan, even after, well, you know, frankly, a kind of bizarrely bad close the darn thing's now sitting at a new all-time high. So is it worth it to chase the stock after this magnificent run? Let's check in with Vlad Shrunas. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of RingCentral. Been on the show a couple times to get a better sense of what this Avaya partnership means. Because I've got to tell you, it was obviously bigger than a lot of people thought. Vlad, congratulations on this huge piece of business.
3: Yes. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much for the congrats.
1: Now, I didn't know maybe others did. The $100 million? I mean, Avaya is that big?
3: Yeah, it's a pretty big company. And uh, they're one of the uh, leading companies uh, in the traditional on-pre- on-premise business communication space. Now, um, yeah, they have uh, probably the largest base there.
1: Now, uh, what were they offering before? Because, you know, we've had, we've had you on, but we've also had Zoom on. You know, we've had Cisco on. I mean, I, I, I would think any one of those companies would love this contract.
3: Uh, Well, I can't speak to that, uh, but uh, what did Avaya have? Well, they have what they have. Uh, They are a leading provider of on-premise communications uh, solutions. Um, As you mentioned, they have uh, 100 uh, million uh, users out there. Uh, They're in 180 countries, and uh, they count uh, over 90% of uh, Fortune uh, 100 companies amongst their customers. They're no, uh, extremely well-established company.
1: No, when I went on their website, I know that this deal is not done yet, so it didn't have you. But to me, it looks like that they really don't have anything near what you can offer, that this is a big upgrade for Avaya customers.
3: Well, the one thing that RingCentral Central brings to this relationship is, uh, unified communications as a service or, uh, cloud-based business communications. Uh, Ring Central, uh, is a leader in this space. Uh, we're one of the early pioneers and, uh, leading, uh, uh, you know, we're the largest pure play, the fastest growing. Uh, we are a multi-time, um, leader in Gartner Magic, uh, quadrant. Right. And, um, what we've heard la- uh, loud and clear is the fact that, uh, Business customers uh, of all sizes uh, want to go to the cloud. And uh, we're very fortunate uh, to have Avaya select us for a partner. Uh, they're leading uh, on premise provider. We're leading cloud provider. Now you have the two uh, leaders uh, linking arms and uh, Improving uh, experience uh, for a very large uh, customer base.
1: Now, before even this deal, you've been growing consistently, winning a lot of business, 33%, 34% growth. Is it possible that that can accelerate when this deal closes?
3: Uh, we certainly hope so. Uh, it's hard to make exact predictions, but uh, we do know uh, that... Uh, Avice customers, and frankly, uh, other customers, uh, on-premise uh, folks, really do want to go to the cloud. Cloud has multiple advantages. You end up uh, getting a lot more uh, for less. Uh, huge improvements in uh, productivity, um, uh, mobility, uh, which uh, on-premise uh, providers largely lack. Uh, other modes of communications, such as um, video and uh, messaging, for example. So there is uh, quite a bit of demand. And uh, with this new announcement, uh, we now have one of the world's uh, largest installed bases of on-prem, 100 million users, and a very well-established international uh, partner network, over 4,700 partners that Avaya has. So. All of this uh, will now be uh, exposed to um, uh, to Brick Central's um, uh, cloud uh, communications. Now, there
1: there were terms. I mean, you're you're buying some some of their company and you have to put up a lot of capital. Do you need to do an equity offering because your stock's up so much? Maybe it makes sense.
3: Uh, it may or may not make, uh, make sense, but uh, no, we do not. Uh, wow. we, we are able to uh, pay for this transaction with cash on hand and also some equity.
1: Well, one last question. You know, we had the good fortune. I don't know if you were even there. You know, we did a, a, uh, a meet and greet when we were in San Francisco. You had a huge number of Ring central people there. You've got a special company. You've got a lot of young people who seem to be raring to go for Ring Central. What are you doing to attract those smart young people?
3: Um, Well, thank you for the compliment, number one. Uh, Look, uh, we provide a uh, winning culture. Uh, We have a winning solution. We're leading in the market. And uh, you know what? We care about our people. We care about our customers. We care about our partners. And we most certainly care about our employees. And uh, I think the world gets around. People appreciate that. We are a good place to work.
1: Well, I mean, now, just so people know, because a lot of people don't have it. What do I get if I have a RingCentral phone versus what I have now?
3: Uh, you get uh, leading cloud communication solutions for business. Uh, you get voice. You get video. You get messaging. You get all of this uh, working uh, across the globe. Uh, RingCentral is in 41 countries now. Uh, Avaya, for example, uh, is in 180 countries, so there is still room to grow. But for a UCAS provider, we have by far the best footprint. Uh, You get uh, instant compatibility with uh, mobile devices. Uh, We are able to uh, replicate and, uh, in many cases, improve on traditional uh, landline uh, desktop-based business phone uh, with a mobile device, uh, such as an iPhone or an Android device. And uh, you get all of that for less. Incredible! So it's a it's it's a huge win-win.
1: Well, congratulations! It's the biggest win we've had that I've seen in 2019. Great to see you again, sir.
3: Thank you so much, Jim. All Thank right, you for having me.
1: Again. That's Vlad Spunis, he's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Ring Central. I know it sounds kind of dopey, but I, as I look at my buy a phone here, I think the stock can go still higher. That money's back here for the break. It is time! It's over the lightning round. It's the And then the lightning runs over. Are you ready? Ski-daddy. over the light run. Come everybody. We're we'll going Alex Indiana. Alex! Who's your booyah to you, Jim? Sweet. Uh, I'm in the house of pain with New Relics. What are your thoughts? We have to have New Relic back on. We have to have Lucerne on. I don't really quite understand how it could have such a degradation. Uh, I think if we had them on, we could get a better feel. I'm reluctant to, to recommend it. Let's go to Ed in Pennsylvania, please. Ed! Hi, Jim. My stock is Lidos. symbol that L-P-O-S. That is a winner! Scientific, engineering, technology, defense, spin-off, perfect, 83, 85, probably goes to 100. Dick in Virginia, Dick! Hi, Jim. It's always great to talk to you. And you, Thank, you Dick. Thank you, Thank you. Alright, right. So my question is, I'm holding Disney at a loss in my IRA due to their recent earnings. miss. But even with the stock price decline, the P is still uh, premium to the market. Do you think the soon to be introduced streaming service is enough of a catalyst for the stock price to recover? Or is Disney a sell due to their. No, no. I I look my Chapel Trust owns it. We did sell some much higher. Uh, I'm actually anxious to buy it back, to tell you the truth. I think that Bob Iger has a great long-term situation brewing, uh, and I do believe that they're going to be able to pull off their uh, direct-to-consumer strategy. So, no, I don't want to sell that one. Let's go to Blake in Texas. Blake! Buenos dias de Tejas, Jimmy. Yo! What's up?
0: (laughs) Hey, I know there's a growing competition in the music streaming industry space, um, but... Since it has a 40% off its all-time high of a year, i wanted your thoughts on Spotify. Man,
1: this thing has just been a complete... A house of pain. And uh, this is a direct listing. It's like Slack. It turns out it doesn't have any institutional support. That's why we just say no to IPO Airbnb. Uh, I don't know. The thing has no support. It's just nothing but sellers. And it hasn't done that badly. I'm confused. And what do you do when you're confused? You come on mad money. Let's go to Ralph and Florida. Ralph. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from Fort St. Lucie. Right, my stock had a great quarter. It's moving into Europe and had no bad news. It dropped 80 points. Can you tell me why? And is it a buy? GW no, well, first, GW team. Farm was hit by a short seller who was saying some pretty negative things about the drug. I actually don't want to reiterate them because it may not be right. And also because it is part of a marijuana cannabis slump, the likes of which I have rarely seen. What came up went down, down, down. Let's go to Richard, North Carolina. Richard! Richard! Jim, Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you, Richard? Great, great. Hey, listen, the
0: stock ticker I'm calling about is Carnival Cruise Line. stock ticker is CCL. Would you recommend it at this price range?
1: Holy cow. I mean, that is just, it's having such a hard time, and the weather's been bad, it yields almost 5%. I am not going to go against this thing right down here. Arnold Donald's a good operator at 5% yield. It's a 4.89. If it gets to 5, I would buy it. And and that's a big concession for me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round
2: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: As the big trade negotiations with China get rolling later this week, I need you to remember something. Please remember this. I don't want you to hold your breath waiting for a deal. Look, I would love a reasonable trade deal with China. Even a bad deal would be great for the stock market, at least in the short term. But you've got to understand, it's incredibly unlikely, even if the president seems fairly positive, something could happen this very week when he talked this evening. Why? Because the White House has seven demands that it's not willing to compromise on. They haven't budged on these issues. And China has shown zero willingness to give in. Chinese government would rather take the pain of the tariffs than give President Trump what he wants. And until that dynamic changes, well, you know what? As much as I'd like to be optimistic about a deal, maybe a little give by the Chinese kind of surprises, I don't know. can't bet on it. I'm not that optimistic. Let me go over these seven demands, the ones that are often reiterated by Peter Navarro, who is the president's chief trade advisor. First, the president wants China to stop stealing your intellectual property. Some of this has to do with software privacy. I mean, uh, this, it, but there's a little more to it than that. After Micron, a stock I talk about all the time, the big commodity semiconductor company rejected a $23 billion bid from the Chinese company, trying to woo some of its micro, Micron's engineers and had them build a plant just like Micron's. is outright theft, and it's all there in the Justice Department's pleadings. I got it in the New York Times. Second, the president wants an end to forced technology transfers. China has a longstanding policy of forcing companies that want to do business there to form joint ventures with local enterprises. And then that joint venture shares their technology with the government. The government spreads it around to everyone. Can you imagine if any other country tried to pull that stuff? I mean, it's routine in China, though. There are very few exceptions unless you make coffee, coffee sneakers, turkey fried chicken. Three, the Chinese need to stop hacking our computers, both the government and private actors. I've talked to almost every single publicly traded cybersecurity company, and they all tell me that China remains the number one culprit behind cyber theft. Should that go on? Four, the president wants China to stop targeting our businesses for destruction, like they try to do with our steel and aluminum industries. I've seen the impact of this firsthand. My father sold gift wrap in Philadelphia. He was a jobber. One by one, the Chinese wiped out the American gift wrap industry that he sold for. I think we still have some of those last big rolls of paper made in the USA down in our basement. They're museum pieces. Papa ended up working for the Chinese competitors uh, who took over. And to be fair, uh, he loved doing business with them. Fifth, China needs to stop subsidizing state-owned industries. I totally understand where this demand is coming from. Uh, These subsidies are a major way the Chinese target our companies. But I also can't imagine the Communist Party ever letting this happen. It would result in a massive number of Chinese layoffs. For example, they subsidize steel production mostly as a make-work program. That's why Nucor, the company with the best technology on Earth and the lowest cost, still needs tariffs to compete with China on a level playing field. We want to be able to compete. That's all we want, is to compete Six, the White House wants China to stop it with the currency manipulation. They, they've been better on this for a long time until the trade war got rolling. Lately, though, they've been devaluating their currency to offset the impact of the tariffs. If You listen to conference calls of American companies that buy things from China. They keep saying that the, the uh, weaker yuan is cushioning the blow. Well, that's anti what Trump wants to happen. Finally, the easy, easiest demand. There are lots of ne'er-do-well Chinese companies that illegally sell fentanyl in this country. Their government has repeatedly pledged to crack down on this, even making fentanyl-controlled substance back in May. But it hasn't meant a thing. They're still selling it. That's what needs to happen before we can see a major breakthrough on trade. China wants to plague at us by buying some soybeans, but the White House wants real change. So until the basic political calculus changes on one side or the other, maybe it changes on our side, I don't know, I, don't, I just don't see a market-moving deal happening this week. David call this market whippy. That's where it goes up and down, up and down. Please don't be dissuaded. Look for companies that you like at your price. That's what you get when you have a whippy market. It's called opportunity. Don't quit. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I will see you
0: tomorrow.
1: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.